0: Um, If you don't know me, my name's Paul. I work as a carer in a nursing home, a local nursing home in the community. I've been there five and a half years, and here at this church since 2016, I've been speaking through the book of Philippians. Uh, Yeah, Philippians, and we're just coming to the end of that, but the, the book of Philippians is actually a letter that was written by a guy called Paul, to a group of new Christians in a church in a place called Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. And he's written this letter. It's, it's full of good advice, good stuff that he's written, and he's just coming to the end of it now. He's just been talking about anxiety and how, um, in knowing God, you can move from a place of having anxiety into the kind of peace that God gives. And that talk's available on, on YouTube. But Paul's just coming to the end of his letter now. And he's giving his final advice, and this is what he writes. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So Paul writes this. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me just pray before we get into God's word. Father, I thank you that you're present here by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you know each of us here in this room. And thank you that you want to speak to us through your word, the Bible. I pray now give us hearts and ears that are open to hear what you want to say. Pray, let your kingdom come. As a result of tonight, would your kingdom come in our community and in our world, and would Jesus be made known? In his name we pray, amen. That first word finally caught my attention, because in my work, I get to see the finally bit of a lot of people's lives. Uh, I work with a lot of people who are very sick, sort of end stages of dementia or the end, the end stages of cancer. So I get to see people in our community come to the finally bit of their lives. If you think of, of your life as like a timeline, I'm kind of down this end, and I see a lot of people in the finally part of their lives. Uh, just over a week ago, the oldest member of this church got to the, the end of her life. She died. She used to get a lift with my nan, Granny Jean, to the church many years ago, um, and then we had the tragic story of the MP. Is it Sir David Amis? Amos? Amos. And he, he came to the finally part of his life unexpectedly. Uh, sooner than perhaps he thought in the middle of doing his work, he came to the finally part of his life. My younger sister, Julia, she's a midwife. So she does the beginning bit, you know, right from when people are in their mommies, tommies, Julia is there looking after them. And I do the end bit, the finally bit. And then our sister, Deb, has the most energy. So she looks after everyone in between. She she works for a church. Um, But the real question is, when you get to the finally part of your life, whenever that is, how is it that you can look back and think, oh, I did that well. That was worthwhile. I lived that life well. That MP, Sir David Amos, as he was dying, was he able to look back at a life well lived? It looks like he was. Did a lot of good in the community. But how do you get to the end of your life and think, I did that well? How do you do the in-between bit from birth until you get to that finally bit well? That's actually a really good and wise question to ask. It says this in Psalm 90, verse 12. It's someone speaking to God, and they say, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, it's wise to know I've got this many days, I don't know how many, but I've got not long to live in this world, And so how am I going to live it is a wise thing to think about. I'm hoping this is relevant to everyone in the room. I hope we're all in the in-between bit. No one's planning on giving birth or or dying in the next sort of 20 minutes, hopefully. Sorry, a bit of a dark joke. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're allowed to laugh at that. Um, Do you ever think, am I living this life as well as I could be? Does my life make a difference to anyone? Is there any point in me getting up in the morning? So how do we live well? How do we do it? And this piece of writing in Philippians doesn't have all the answers to that question, but it does show three things that impact the way we live. And all I'm going to do tonight is talk quickly through those three things and ask some questions about what that could mean for our lives. And it should take about 20 minutes. and then. Really key thing, if you have any questions for me, if there's anything I say that you don't understand, if there's anything you want me to clarify, even if it's a really hard question, go on, I dare you, ask me a hard question, there's the number. Um, You can text in and Donald will receive it. We don't necessarily get through all of them, but if you do have a question, that's the number. We always use the same number for questions, so if you wanna save it on your phone, that would be a good idea as well. So, how do I live well? First thing, there's three things. How do we live well? Number one, Paul writes this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, how we live is impacted by number one, how we think. In an age where there's a lot more mental health awareness. I don't need to talk massively about how depression and anxiety can affect the way we live. If we're not thinking in a healthy way, we're probably not going to live in a healthy way. If we're thinking in a healthy way, then we probably are going to live quite well. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. But maybe the Bible can give a fresh perspective on the way we look at our thought life, The the last time I spoke, I talked about how the Bible looks at our thoughts and our feelings a bit like, if you imagine, a pet that misbehaves sometimes. Our thoughts and our feelings do things that we don't want them to do, but we can exercise a degree of control over them, and the Bible talks about our feelings and our thought life in that way. I wonder just going to do something now, real quick. If you want to close your eyes, if that's helpful, I just want you to think about your thoughts. So over the last day or so, what kind of thoughts have you been having? What's been going through your mind? Just as we're still now, where has your mind been over the last day or two? What's impacted the way that you think? Perhaps your phone, the people you've been around, the places where you've been, what's been going through your mind. Think about those thoughts. Have they been good thoughts? Have they been bad thoughts? And then if you use your imagination, if you think about your mind and your thought life, think of it as a dog, maybe a puppy. And where's that dog been in the last few days? Maybe it's been around the back of the bins. Maybe it's been in the dirty puddles. Maybe some of the thoughts you've had have actually been quite damaging and dangerous. Maybe the, the dog's been down by the busy roads. Where's your mind been? You can open your eyes if you like. In, in, in Eastern spirituality, a lot of the focus and the emphasis on Eastern meditation is to empty your mind, to, to be still and empty your mind. It's a bit like telling that dog to sit quietly in a room by itself. <laughs> But Paul's doing something very different here. Look how many different things he's giving us to wrap our minds around. Whatever is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, there's loads of stuff we can wrap our minds around. It's almost like he's saying, train your mind, get that dog out from behind the bins and by the dirty puddles and the busy roads and get into the park. And in the park, there's open stretches of green grass and bushes full of interesting smells, and trees, and clean water, and hills. And There's so much variety and choice. Get your mind running there all day. Get your mind down to the park, away from the bins, away from the busy roads. And when your mind's been running around there all day, at the end of the day, you'll have that calm, satisfied tiredness that comes from a long walk in a beautiful place. I think that's the kind of direction Paul's taking. Think about these things. And that all sounds very good, but if you've never trained a dog, how do you work out how to do it? And if you've never trained your mind, how do you do it? The truth is, if you're determined enough and stubborn enough with a dog, stop it. No, get down. And you keep at it, you keep at it. You can get some level of success with training a dog like that, just through stubbornness and willpower. And there are some people who, just through stubbornness and determination, they can change their thought patterns, they can change the way they think, they can train their minds. They can say, I'm not going to think that way anymore, I'm going to focus my mind on this. But not all of us are like that. Maybe up until now, your thoughts have been a little bit all over the place. Maybe there's patterns of thinking that you're really struggling to get away from, thoughts that just keep coming back. You don't know how to keep the dog under control. And you can't get rid of the dog. Your mind's your mind, isn't it? Thankfully, sometimes the dog goes to sleep. But what do you do? What do you do in that situation if you don't know how to train the dog? Well, what most people do is they go to an expert. So first thing that really affects how we live is the way we think. And then Paul writes this. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So how do we live well? Number one is how we think. And how we think is really affected by number two, what we do or our habits. Paul's basically saying, come and copy me. Do things the way I do them. I, I always talk through, when I, when I speak at church, I always talk things through with my mom beforehand. And she said, you could put this down as it's not, like, not so much what we do or our habits, it's who we copy. That's really important. And Paul's saying, come do things my way. So he uses those words, what you've learned and received. In other words, so these people knew Paul, and he's saying, the things that I taught you deliberately the things you learn from me, the things you receive from me, do them, but also he uses the words, and heard and seen. In other words, the parts of his life when you didn't know he was looking, the things you heard about in Paul's life, the things that you saw when he didn't, wasn't consciously teaching you, every single part of his life, Paul's been deliberate, whatever I do, you can copy my pattern of living. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Especially if we're older, if we want to be a, a good example in the community, can people look at every single part? Would we be comfortable if people copied every single part of our lives? I think that's essentially what we're saying as a church, isn't it? That we've, we've looked, we've found a way of living, and it's good. And he uses those words: "Practice these things." The, the actual original language, the Greek that he wrote it in. That that's it's not just do little things that I do every now and again. It's, it's put into practice, into habit. Do it again and again and again. Take on my habits. Do it continuously. And Paul said this kind of thing a lot. So earlier in the letter to the Philippians, he said this, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he's basically saying, we've got a way of living that's good, and we're doing it together and you guys would do well to live it too. I think that's the message of the church. It's not anything special about us, but we've found a way of living that's good. Come and join in with us. It's a good thing. You might be sat there thinking, well, this sounds a little bit arrogant, you know, who's Paul to tell me to copy his whole life? What's so special about him? I mean, that that thought crossed my mind as well. But then I thought, One way of looking at it, if you imagine Roger Federer, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, if he was with an amateur tennis player and he said, what I want you to do is copy the way I strike a tennis ball, would that be arrogant? Thing is, Paul's life, of all the people in history, Paul's one of the people's most impacted world history. You know, one of the biggest cities in the world named after him. One of the most largest, most beautiful buildings in our capitals named after him. He's impacted thousands of lives over the last 2,000 years. He's had a huge impact on, well, probably not thousands, probably more like billions of people. His thought and his writings have had a massive impact on the way our world is formed, the way cultures are formed all around the world. Maybe that doesn't bother you. Another way of looking at it is if, When Paul got to the finally part of his life, the end of part of his life, and he was looking backwards, we know that Paul was pleased with the way that he'd lived. He wrote things like this. He wrote, where am I? I've lost my place. Here we are. This is Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award me on that day. Paul lived his life in a really deliberate way. And he was satisfied with the life he lived. And isn't that what we want? When we get to the finally bit, isn't that what we want? So I think if Paul's managed it, it's not an arrogant thing to offer the same pattern to his friends. He wants them to live well. So you might be thinking, okay, why does all this matter? Why does Paul care so much about the way we live? Why why does it matter how I live, what my habits are? I think the thing is, Paul was really conscious that nobody is a nobody, that every single life has a real impact on the way that culture's formed. What do I mean by that? My nephew, Zion, um, so my sister's son, Zion, he's seven now, but when he was two, he had a little tricycle, and he used to pretend to fix his tricycle. So he'd put it upside down, and he'd have a look at the wheels. And something he'd always do before he looked at the wheels was he'd have an imaginary pair of glasses on his face, and he'd put the glasses down onto the tip of his nose before he, looked at the, before he started working on the wheels. And the reason he did that is because there's an older member of our family, my dad, who wears round glasses, and he's brilliant at fixing mechanical things. He's very clever with fixing stuff. And whenever my dad goes to fix something, he puts his glasses down onto the tip of his nose. And my nephew, Zion, had obviously watched him and thought, well, when you're going to fix something, what you have to do is put the glasses on the end of your nose, because that that somehow helps. But the point is that that pattern is repeated in small ways thousands of times in your life. So the things that you say, the way you speak in your day-to-day life, is forming culture here in our community. The decisions you make down the shops or online when you buy something, those decisions as a consumer, you are forming culture, not just here with people that are watching you, but the people down the supply chain all over the world that manufacture the things, the conditions that they work in, the decisions you make as a consumer form culture all around the world. It might seem like something insignificant, I just popped online to buy something, but actually that decision that you make in that moment, in a small way, is forming culture. The things that you allow in your life form culture. The way you talk to people, the way you go down the shops, the way you talk to the lady behind, behind the, um, what's it called, the, uh, what is it called, the counter. The way you talk to the lady behind the counter forms culture as people watch as that lady receives your speech. The way you talk to the guy who's cleaning the toilets, whether you talk to him at all, whether you even notice him, is all part of forming culture. The really important thing that Paul was aware of is that nobody's insignificant. All of our lives actually really matter and play a part. We're all shaping culture at the same time. The clothes that you decided to put on tonight as you came to church are forming culture. It's small things, but your life is significant. The decisions you make, the choices you make are significant, and Paul realized that. So let's, let's just pause there for a minute. Maybe you're on board so far, and you're thinking, okay, I want to live well. I want to train my thoughts. I want my life to mean something. Got flashing lights again. I'm happy to copy, Paul, but where do I start? What does this way of living look like? How do I do it? So how do I live well? Okay, so we've seen so far. So number one, living well is impacted by how we think, and how we think is shaped by what we do, the habits we have. And the habits we have are formed by the final thing, the third thing we're going to look at today. I was at work yesterday, and... uh, There's a lady I look after, she's been there for a number of years. We used to look after her husband as well. And her husband died fairly recently. She struggles with dementia and a few different health issues. And she can be very low in mood sometimes. And yesterday I went upstairs and a couple of the other carers had got her up for a breakfast. And I looked at one of the carers and they shook their head at me, you know, it's it's not a good day for her. And she sat there in a wheelchair waiting for the lift to go down. Uh, down to where she's going to have her breakfast, and she's low, you know, her shoulders are slumped over, her head's down, she's not looking happy. And I, I get on really well with her, and I went up to her and sort of said hello to her, and she's like, yeah, I'm not good today, I'm low. So anyway, they took her down, they sat her in the lounge. About an hour later, I'd got medication for someone else that was, gonna, that was also in the lounge, and I took it in there. Um, <laughs> and so she sat there in the lounge. The nursing home, Orchard House, where I work, we've got two cats. We had a cat for years called Tuna. And then recently, another cat, a Tomcat called Sid, has decided to join the home. He's been there a little while. And Sid is the kind of cat that he couldn't care less if you live or die as long as he gets his meal on time. It's one of those miserable cats that's got no time for you. He He wants to eat and sleep and wants nothing to do with human beings. Anyway, Sid had come into the lounge and he'd sat down on the armchair next to this lady. An important detail here is this lady absolutely loves animals. And I, I went in with the medication. And I just started to watch what was, what was happening. Sid had gone to sleep. And this lady had started to stroke him. And Sid was like, oh, I suppose I'll put up with it. I can't be bothered to get up. And the lady's stroking Sid. And her whole demeanor was changing. she's going, oh, you, I love you. I love you. And you love me. You've come and sat with me, haven't you? Oh, it's wonderful. And her voice started to change, and her body language started to change. She started going on about, oh, we mustn't let you near any motor cars, because it'd be terrible for a motor car to run you over. We can't allow that. Oh, you're just so beautiful. Isn't it wonderful? And she actually, I was stood there watching. I probably should have been doing some work, but I was <laughs> watching it happen. Um, and she started to sing started to sing about how she loved Sid. I can't remember the tune, but uh, I love you. and, (laughs) And her whole, the way she was thinking and the way her whole body language was for the next few hours was completely changed just by a miserable cat sat next to her on the sofa. And Paul writes this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things And the God of peace will be with you. So, the third thing that impacts how we live is who we're with. The thing is, when Paul told people to copy him, he wasn't really focused on himself. When he told people to copy him, he knew that there's something about who you're with and who you spend time with that affects the way you think and affects your habits. And he wrote this, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's totally focused on copying Jesus, on living the way Jesus taught people to live. It's like a lifetime apprenticeship in in Jesus's pattern for life. And what does that look like? What does Jesus's pattern for life look like? This is this kind of simple beginning of it. Jesus said this, this is Jesus's words from John chapter 15. He said, remain in me and I will remain in you, just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So how do you do that? How do you spend time with Jesus? It might be that you're sat here tonight, and you're thinking, okay, so number one, if I get my thoughts right, And then number two, if I get my actions and my habits right, then number three, the God of peace will be with me. But I need to get my thoughts and my actions right first. And if you're thinking like that, you're doing what actually most of us in this room do subconsciously a lot of the time, even though we know it's wrong. We think that for God to be with us, we need to sort ourselves out first. That's actually rubbish, because God's always wanted to be with us. He's always wanted to give us peace. He's known you since you were in your mum's tummy. Jesus died for you deliberately because he wanted you to be with him. We don't change our thoughts and our actions to get him to come and be with us. It's actually the other way around. If we spend time, the God of peace wants to be with us. And if we spend time with him, he helps us to change the way we think and to change our actions. He wants to, he starts it. He's waiting, he's ready. And he wants to come and change the way we think and change the way we act. See, people out there, outside of, the, of knowing Jesus, by willpower, they can change the way they think to an extent. They can change their habits just through uh, discipline. But what we have is so much more powerful and so much more beautiful than that. We have someone that wants to be with us, and as he's with us, change the way we live. And that's massive, and it doesn't just impact our lives. I was talking to a guy a few days ago, and as we were chatting, I said to him that I was a Christian, and he said, oh, my wife's just like you, just like you. You know, she doesn't eat any meat, she's a vegan. And um, whenever I buy meat, she tells me off, she's just like you. And I thought, well, was... Nothing wrong with being, I think what was going on in his head was he's a Christian and a Christian is like a kind of spiritual person and what spiritual people do is go vegan. And there's nothing wrong with being vegan, that's fine, it's good, but I think if, if so that guy's picture of what it was to be a follower of Jesus was to not eat animal products. And I think that really disturbed me because if that's all it is for people out there, if that's all they see of Jesus then we're limiting, we're limiting. So there's so much good that the world needs to see that's that's just not there. And I think basically it's because we're not spending enough time with him. The world's not seeing Jesus because we, his people, aren't spending time with him. I was listening to a a pastor called John Mark Comer, and he was talking about how a lot of the things that Christians, followers of Jesus, have done over hundreds of years, over millennia, starting to be eroded away. Some of the habits that we've had for hundreds of years, the patterns of life that Jesus taught us are disappearing. And he said one of the most radical things you can do as a Christian these days is when you get up in the morning, before you turn your phone on, read a psalm and spend a bit of time talking to Jesus before you do anything else. Just the simple things It might be that that a lot of this is new to you and you have no idea how you would talk to Jesus. And if that's you, then I'd I'd, I'd recommend um, the Alpha course. And they're looking at this Wednesday at 7. Rock up, have a pudding. And they're talking about does prayer work and how do you pray? There you go. You want to spend time with Jesus. The nuts and bolts, the basics, that will be there. How do I spend time with Jesus? For myself, it's from copying people in my life. I copy my mom and dad. I copy other people I know. Every morning my dad gets up and the first thing he does, he makes my mum a cup of tea and then he sits with his Bible and he reads it for a while and then he prays. For me, every morning, before I turn my phone on, before I do anything else, I spend a bit of time with Jesus. I say, you know, morning Lord, here's my day, please help me and please speak to me through your word. And then in the evening, again, the last thing I do in the day is spend a bit of time with him. And it's not always exciting, it doesn't always feel amazing. It's not always easy to do, especially when your eyes are shutting, when you've been on a few shifts in a row. But that habit has shaped me over the years that I've done it. It's shaped how I think, it's shaped the way I live, it's shaped my habits, and I'm still being shaped year by year. And my plan is that when I get to the end of my life, the finally bit, whenever that is, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's 30 years down the line or 50, my plan is that I wanna look back and say, I spent every morning and every evening with Jesus. And he shaped the way I thought and the way I acted. So just to finish, how do we live well? Number one, it's how we think. And then how we think is shaped by the things we do, our habits. And both of those things are massively impacted by number three, who we spend time with, who we're with.
1: I like that phrase, uh, Am I live, or question, am I living life as well as I could be? Just practically, mm. what kind of things are, should we be thinking about that are pure and honourable and good? Can you give us some things that aren't and some things that are that are common in life?
0: Common in life. I think if you've ever been a teenage boy, you can think of a good list of things that aren't pure. Okay. Um won't go too into too much into that. What um, else broadly, I mean... I think, um, what, pure in particular.
1: No, any of that list, yeah. that you, it says, think about these things, so t- yeah. what are the things, or well, how do you train that? I mean, is this about not what, looking at stuff on your phone, is this yeah. about not
0: gossiping think, on Facebook,
1: what, what yeah. do you mean?
0: Yeah, I think it is talking about thought life. So if you're thinking regularly about things that aren't true, things that aren't right, things that don't bring honor to How do you, how do you know people. whether they're
1: true or right? What do you think about that would give you a measure of what's true and right? What's true and
0: right? Um, well, the true one, so for me, I, I, all through my life I've had a very active imagination. I spend a lot of time in my imagination. Um, not in a harmful way, but I think I waste a lot of time just imagining things. Um, that just aren't true, and so time that could be spent thinking about things that are important that, that need doing. I spend, you know, imagining myself winning the Champions League as a football manager. Um, that might be totally weird to you, but <laughs> um, But I do think I think what Paul writes there it, it does spill over into the things that we fix our attention on as well. So I think that pastor I mentioned, John Mark Comer, he said he thinks that one of the biggest challenges to Christianity today isn't actually secularism, it's the iPhone and the way we can be so distracted and spend so much of our time just looking at things that might not even be entirely bad, but they're not as wholesome as some of the things we could be wrapping our minds around. Um, And the same goes, I think, for things that we're watching on TV. that shape us, I have to be careful. Um, and different people are affected in different ways, but I have to be careful of what films I watch because of where it sends my mind. Um, is that helpful?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think one of the big areas right now at the moment is anger. Mm. I don't think it's helpful to keep reading angry people yeah. and to keep reading stuff that makes us angry. Yeah.
0: Well, that's I not think lovely, whatever's lovely.
1: It's not, it's not honourable. And, mm. and I just think the, the, the media is filled with who's to blame mm. and whose fault everything is. Yeah. And that just multiplies in our heads mm. and makes us bitter and mm. angry and mm. frustrated and resentful. And all of that, I, I just don't think is the way of Jesus. No. Um, And I think also this whole stuff about jealousy, anything that you just think about that just makes you wish, why not me, why Mm. couldn't I have that? Mm. And all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So I think it's about thinking stuff that's gracious, that's merciful, that's Mm. encouraging of people, rather than stuff that's critical and and bitter. I think things,
0: things from the past can be a real problem. So things that have gone on in your past where you wish things had turned out differently, or you wish things aren't weren't as they are now. And so you you get stuck in in things like uh, particularly yeah, in, in, in areas of of relationships with family or romantic relationships, things like that can really if you don't deal right with them, they can really linger and, and you can keep going back to it and back to it. And I think there are a lot of people who where The thought life just keeps going back in the same old patterns and that can create anger or sadness or or depression.
1: Yeah. So picking up on that, one of the questions that's come in, what are your thoughts on how we maintain our own good thoughts and habits when we we are around people who speak in a damaging or negative way and bring negative or damaging messages to
0: us? Mm. How do you do that at work? At work? Do you know, sometimes I go and sit on the toilet and and recenter. And my colleagues have noticed it. Some of my colleagues have said, I mean, I do go to the loo quite a lot. I've not got a very strong bladder, but I use that, that weakness that Jesus has given me to... <laughs> sorry. People that work in healthcare have a much cruder sense of humor, and I need to remember I'm in church. Um, but I do... I, I what sit, do you mean
1: by recenter? I sometimes Just sit on the then. loo
0: and think, oh, Jesus, I need your help. Or Jesus, please help me to get through this. Or it's a good place. It's a very spiritual place. <laughs> um,
1: so, do you notice it? Do you feel a negativity or a criticalness from other people? Do you no, feel actually, that? No, actually,
0: no. I think it was much harder when I started in the workplace. The workplace now is a much more positive place to be. Um, and I think because people know me, they're aware that, that certain topics aren't great around me. And I think people, my colleagues, my friend, I'm friends, with people I work with, they don't feel comfortable talking about certain topics around me because they know that's not my kind of, that's not my So body. go back
1: a couple of years, three years. How did you, how did you, so the question is, how did you practically maintain that? Is it just the lose? And I mean, how did you establish yeah, that way a good in which question. people...
0: I think, I think I'd have to look back further. So when, when I was 12, I went to boarding school, and boarding school was a rough place. Um, and I wasn't around my family, and, and I, I battled a lot with wanting to follow Jesus, but being surrounded by all manner of difficult stuff, um, and difficult ways of being, and violent, and, and um, objectifying women, um, and bad language, and disrespect, and bullying, and it's all around all the time. And it's like, how do I? And I wrestled with it for a long time. And basically, it came to a point when I was in towards the end of year eleven, where I thought I'm living a kind of double life. I'm following Jesus, but I'm also, you know, living the way that the other lads are living. And I, I thought, my mom and dad, and people I know, like at certain Baptists who follow Jesus, their life doesn't look like this, but they're more satisfied than what I am. And that's what I want. And I think from that point, when I went into sick form, it was, no, I'm going to live like this now. I'm different now. And I think it's, it's being a very deliberate. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a choice. Like, that's not my life anymore. That's not how I live. And I think when you're around people, so in, in, a boarding, in a boarding house, you're 60 lads in a home, and everyone's watching your every move all the time. It's very kind of tight community, which is nice in some ways. But I think people respect you if you make a stand and say, this is who I am. I'm not like that, I'm not that person. You kind of become the center of gravity. Like, actually, no, I'm not gonna beat up the younger lads just because we got beaten up when we were younger. Because that's not what Jesus would do, that's not what I'm like. And if you're sure of yourself, I often think of this, I I see younger guys um, as they're going through school and things and they're a bit embarrassed of like going to church stuff. But I think if you're sure of yourself, actually, no, this life that Jesus taught is the best way to live, and I'm sure of it, you can kind of become the center of gravity in a way. And people look at that and respect it. They might not agree with you, but they think, actually, yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, And so there's not that pressure then to conform. It's like, oh, wait, that's not how he lives.
1: So you may have answered this. need to make this phone not turn off every 10 seconds. If leading by example is the way forward, how do we communicate... uh, that we're without telling others what to do. So you can be trying to lead by example and be very annoyed that nobody's following your example. What mm. what what can you do other than say, you're not doing what I'm doing? Do you just if let no it go one's... and say, I'm just going to keep plowing away by leading by example? Or?
0: Yeah, so I've worked at Orchard House for five and a half years now. And... I think there were probably some of the people as they were dying who gave their lives to Jesus, but none of the staff have that I'm aware of. I think they know more what Jesus is like, but I think we're not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful, and that takes the pressure off, I think. I think we're called to be faithful to him, and, and the success is down to him and his Holy Spirit. But if we're faithful to him day in, day out, and we're where he wants us to be, and we're living the way he wants us to live, if he wants that to be fruitful in an obvious way to us, then great, And if, but if we die and we never see any of the fruit, that's fine as well, but we, we keep faithful.
1: Great, one last question. Uh, can you sort of share something practically that you, I mean, you mentioned one or two things, but maybe there's something else that you didn't get time for. Mm. of you've copied from somebody else that's been helpful for you. Copied from someone else that's been helpful
0: for me. I've spoken about this before, but I think one of the things that really helped me and has helped me, and I've done for years now, every single day, is the gratefuls. I write down at least five things I'm grateful to Jesus for that day, and I thank him for them. I write them down. All right, thank you, Father. That's my routine when I go to bed. Is that I write down those five things? Thank you, Father. I read a psalm, and then I go to bed, just aware of the presence of Jesus. Not in a, not in like a I feel it in a massive way, but just I'm aware that He He loves me and He knows me. Okay. Yeah.
1: Sorry, this is the final question. You mm-hmm. talked about training a dog. Yeah. So I'm training a dog now.
0: Yeah, Donald's got a new I dog. Got a new
1: dog. It's Bonnie. Bonnie. It's ninety-five okay. percent encouragement and mm. reward. Mm. Is there anything about that with our minds, how we reward ourselves or encourage ourselves? Mm. The dog. The moment the dog sits, you go, "Well done!" Yeah. Because yeah. you can shout at it to sit. And it, well, he yeah. has no idea what sitting is. Then you <laughs> suddenly catch it sitting, <laughs> and you go, "Fantastic! You've sat!" Yeah. I think you're is, there a,
0: is there any way we do that with, our, with ourselves? I think you're much better at that than me. I'm, I'm really good at being negative. I'm good at punishing. For, for myself, for my own mind. And thinking, you know, you've done that rubbish. You've got to do better next time. I'm not so good at thinking, actually, yeah, you, you nailed that. But I think you're right. But that's something that I'm trying to work on. I'm Does it go to go
1: back to this, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable. Let's mm. think on not what we've done wrong, but on the call that God has put on us, that he wants us, that he values us, that he wants mm. to use us, that he's equipped us, that he's given us his gifts. Mm. And those one or two moments when we feel, yeah, I d- I'm, I'm walking in what God wants. Mm. Think on those things. Mm. Dwell on what mm. God is doing, not on what we've mm. messed up on. Mm because then you can grow what God is doing because that's what you see at work, Mm -hmm. rather than... Mm. And uh, you train a dog with sweets. Sweets? Treats, not sweets, treats, sorry, treats. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's good. And and
1: sometimes for me, when I am dwelling on bad stuff, like how rubbish that last thing I did was, Mm. I treat myself to football. Or mm. I treat myself to listening to music that I like, or I treat myself mm. to something different. Mm.
0: It's grace, isn't it? The God She's of peace grace. is with us and he wants us, he wants us to live right.
1: There's no point beating myself up because mm. Jesus has already been beaten up, mm. and it's just a waste of time. Mm. I,
0: had a, I had a picture once when I was at uni. I was praying and I just saw myself as a little baby, and I was on God's shoulders, and we were just laughing together. And it's just that I'm his kid. Yeah. He loves me. Yeah. Mm. And I, I'm rubbish at that. I'm much better at focusing on what I get wrong. Sorry. No. <laughs> um, but when you realise you're his kid, isn't he? He loves you. Yeah. You feel safe. Yeah. Mm. It's good.
1: Cool. Mm. We'll hand over to Sam. Yeah, I'll go dry my eyes. I didn't mean <laughs> to reduce you to tears.
0: <laughs> I did it to myself. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's pray for a moment. Father, Mm. we thank you that you do call us your child. Mm -hmm. We are loved and valued, and that is good. That is honourable. That is worth dwelling on and thinking on. And when we feel failure and when we dwell and think about how what we don't achieve, help us to come back to what you've done in us. Mm. We may not be what we want to be, Mm. but we thank you that we're not what we were. I pray for Paul, bless him in what he's given out tonight and pray that you continue uh, to assure him uh, of your father care and your delight in him.